0: chapter eighteen of ancestors a novel by gertrude atherton this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by lynn thompson chapter eighteen julia kay was one of those women designed by nature for the role of a valerie marneffe or of that astute parisian's bourgeoise and more romantic daughter emma bovary but tossed in the gamble of the fates into a setting of respectable opulence where her instincts for prey were trimmed of their crudities and the vehemence of her passion subdued by the opportunity to gratify all other whims and desires her father born in the sooty alley of a manufacturing town in the north of england had run away to sea in his boyhood deserted in the port of new york starved stolen peddled Washed dishes in cheap restaurants shovelled snow tramped to Chicago starved and peddled and shoveled again Finally found a position with a firm of wholesale druggists He attended a night school proved himself a lad of uncommon sharpness And in less than a year was first packing and then dispensing drugs Five years later he was drawing a large salary and at the age of 30 he had opened a retail drug store of his own it was during his earlier period of comparative leisure and peace of mind that he began to test the inventive faculty that had pricked him in small but significant ways during his boyhood his first inventions were of a minor importance although they increased his income and were permanently remunerative and when he turned the torch of his genius upon the fatal antipathies of vermin his success was so deservedly rewarded that he was a millionaire in less than three years. He returned to England and, avoiding the alley of inglorious memory, courted and won the daughter of a manufacturer, his ambition driving him to compel social recognition in his native city. It soared no higher, but his wife, now no longer one of a large family, but with the income of a generous millionaire at her disposal, was open to higher promptings, and he to conversion. They moved to London and laid their plans with some skill. But although London can stand a good deal in the cause of resupply and novelty, the violence of Mrs. Tippett's accent, and the terrible solecisms of a gentleman whose education had begun in a Lancashire alley and finished in the business purlieus of Chicago, who had acquired the American vice of Bragg, in its acutest form and who when in his cups shouted and spat and swore were more than the most enterprising among them had been called upon to endure the social ambitions of the Tippets were so definitely quenched that the indignant millionaire threatened to return to chicago but mrs Tippett moved him firmly to brighton where in the course of time she toned him down they made their way slowly into society of a sort, and attracted the attention of the public. There was no law to prevent them from dining at the fashionable hotels, where Paris gowns could not pass unobserved, and their turn-outs were irreproachable. Mrs. Tippett, an astute woman, by this time had realized that hers was not the destiny of the social star, and she concentrated her hopes and ambitions upon her one child an uncommonly clever little girl this child grew up in a luxury that would have stifled even her precocious mind had it not been for the rigid laws of the schoolroom her governesses and tutors were selected with a sharp eye to the number of titles in their reference books but dismissed promptly if they were unworthy of their hire later the little julia was sent to a distinguished school near paris where with an eye to her future well-being remarkable in one so young she divided her affectionate affluence among the few whose exalted station made them worth the while of a maiden with an indefinite future these friends did not prove as useful as she had hoped at home there were her parents to terrify theirs and although she visited at several chateaus and more than one title was laid at her gilded feet she made up her mind to read her name in burke she took her parents for a tour round the world with a view to polishing off their lingering idiosyncrasies and her chance came in india where she buried them both they succumbed to cholera and the kindly wife of the viceroy to whom she had had the forethought to secure a letter sent for her to come to simla and remain as her guest until she found courage and a chaperone for the return to england here she met captain the honourable augustus k heir to the ancient barony chivalrous impressionable and hard-up they were married with the blessings of old friends and new and to do her full justice she made him a good wife according to her lights she was quite insanely in love with him at first for he looked like one of ouida's guardsmen and his pedigree was so strong and so varied with romantic historic episode that she was fully a week committing it to memory when he left the army and they had returned to england via paris she had the wardrobe and establishment of a princess the right to dine at the queen's table and not a relative in london she was immoderately happy and during the five years of her wedded life she exhausted the first strength of her affections buried her feminine caprice and whatever of impulse youth may have clung to as its right when gussie kay died the predominant feeling in her bosom was rage at his inconsiderateness in leaving the world before his father and nothing behind him but a courtesy prefix which she could not even use on her cards she opened her soul to searching and decided that five years of love were quite enough for any woman and that her attentions hereafter should be directed towards the highest worldly success obtainable with brains talents and wealth to be merely a rich woman in the right set did not come within measurable distance of her ambition's apex and she determined to gratify her passionate self-love by becoming a personality she had long since simulated the repose of the high-born englishwoman until like all imitators she far surpassed her models and her manners were marked not so much by the caste of vere de vere as by an almost negative stolidity this at least provided her with an unruffled front for trying occasions others besides the arcots were insensible of her offerings which in the united states of america would have been admiringly characterized as nerve this manner became solidified after her popular husband's death and if it was generally referred to as aplomb or poise allowances must be made for the poverty of the average vocabulary it is not difficult for a clever handsome correct and wealthy woman to reach and hold a distinctive position even in london that world's headquarters of individualities in addition to a judiciously lavish hospitality it is only necessary to personalize intelligently and this mrs k did with an industry that would have carried her to greatness had she been granted a spark of the divine fire she cultivated the great and the fashionable in art letters and the drama Mixed them tactfully with her titles attended the banquets of the ruling class in bohemia Attired flatteringly in her best and founded a society for the study of Leonardo da Vinci She became intimate with several royal ladies who were charmed with her endless power to amuse them and her magnificent patronage of their charities and she formed close relations with other dames but a degree less exalted and generally more discriminating she cultivated a witty habit of speech the society of cabinet ministers and her chef was a celebrity her gowns would have been notable in new york and she was wise enough to avoid eccentricity and openly to regard all forms of sensationalism with a haughty disdain her attitude to men was equally well advised. Detrimentals and ineligibles never so much as came up for inspection. She had a far-reaching sense of selection and a proper notion of the value of time. Therefore, the many that had the run of her luxurious mansion contributed personally to her prestige, and she flattered herself that her particular band was little less distinguished than the royal household. And they invariably found her witty entertaining or like madame Recamier, ready to listen avec seduction her knowledge of politics was practically unbounded in such moments as she happened to be alone with any of her swains she became distractingly personal inviting gently repelling afforded dazzling glimpses of possibilities awaiting time and the man so accomplishing the double purpose of agreeably titillating her own depths and wearing the halo of a well-behaved cirque altogether her success was what it always must be when brains and ambition money and a cold heart are allied but it was small wonder if the head of the daughter of the house of tippet was a trifle turned and certain of her perceptions were blunted although ofttimes large with complacency she by no means lost sight of her original purpose to wed a coronet and if she endured four years of widowhood it was merely because she knew that she could afford to wait for transcendence this she had finally run to earth in lord brathland imminent heir to a dukedom and personally more agreeable to her than any man in london that he was notoriously inconstant but added zest to the chase, and it was perhaps the illusion she at times achieved of a certain resemblance to the ladies of his preference that finally overcame his intense aversion from respectability. He had offered himself to her on the day of his undoing. This was the woman with whom Elton Gwynne was infatuated at the most critical moment of his career. Of her profound abysses he suspected nothing she reigned in his imagination as the unique woman in whom intellect and passion tenderness and all the social graces united in an exquisite harmony there had been a time when dazzled by the brilliancy of his ascending star and brathland being but a name to her she had considered marriage with a man who assuredly would be the next leader of a liberal house and was no less certain of being prime minister she was under no delusion that she could one day induce him to accept a peerage but she was reasonably sure that zeal would not marry again and there were times when the heir looked so ill that she tightened her bonds about the heir presumptive while assuring him that she was too much in love with liberty to think of marriage even when zeal came back from norway or sorrento looking almost well she never permitted Gwynne to escape to see so much as a corner of her ego that might disturb the image of herself she had created in his mind and when she met brathland and her senses swam with the subtle scent of strawberry leaves she saw no reason for losing the stimulating society and flattering attentions of the brightest star in the political firmament therefore when he was ready to hand in the crushing hour of her riven ambitions and his own of serenest effulgence she promptly reflected that the distance between a marquisate and a dukedom was quickly traversed by a powerful statesman Meanwhile although Elton Gwynne would no doubt be a hideous trial as a husband His wife's position supported by a million in the funds and another in Chicago Would be one of the most brilliant in England and she too had seen Lord zeal in Piccadilly on Saturday End of Chapter 18.